All right, if you've listened this far, you know the deal. The book that came out of this podcast is called How the Internet Happened, From Netscape to the iPhone by me, available wherever fine books are sold. Also, the podcast I do these days is called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Search any podcast app for Ride Home, and you should find The Tech Meme Ride Home, which is all the day's tech news every weekday in just 15 minutes. If you like this show, you'll love that one. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. This is Chapter 5, Supplemental Episode 6. Owen Thomas is one of the most prominent voices in modern web media. He is currently the editor-in-chief of ReadWrite.com, but he was also the West Coast editor for Business Insider, the founding editor of The Daily Dot, executive editor of VentureBeat, managing editor of Valleywag, and I could go on and on, uh, Business 2.0, Red Herring, etc. I was excited to talk to Owen about some of his earliest jobs, though, those at Hotwired and at Suck. Owen gives us some more great background on the launch of Hotwired, as well as the inner workings of Suck.com. So please enjoy this conversation with Owen Thomas. Owen Thomas, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, doing my research on you, um, on your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned an early job was like an, an internship at, at Mother Jones and getting Mother Jones on the web being like one of the first publications to go on the web. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, it's actually I. Um, so I can't take credit for getting Mother Jones online. That would be Joel Truer, um, who uh, who went on to have a career at Google um, in various places. Uh, but he was the director of MIS, and um, he'd gotten Mother Jones online. But you know the problem is he was he was the um, he was the IT director at Mother Jones. So he was, you know, like setting up people's email addresses, you know, email accounts and things like that. Uh, he was busy. So he couldn't, you know, he couldn't actually publish the, publish the magazine to the web. Um, so he did, he needed interns. I had applied for an internship and I think I was kind of vague about whether it was going to be editorial or like design and production. And I mentioned something about how, I, how I'd been playing around with HTML. Um, so all of the intern applications for the magazine went directly to Joel. He uh, kind of commandeered mine and said, you're going to be a web intern. Um, so that was, uh, that was my first gig after college. And I, I was thrilled to have it. it. You know, it got me out to San Francisco. It paid for uh, like a, a bedroom in a co-op. Um, this was long before Airbnb, so mm -hmm. um, I found that uh, I, I found a place to crash through a friend of a friend. And um, you know, I was uh, I was cranking out web pages. I was happy. Um, I did eventually have to get like a a real paying job though and that's when I became a webmaster at Publish Magazine which was uh which was owned by International Data Group or IDG the uh -huh. publisher of PC World and Macworld um they're still around right um and um you know it was it was a great job and I got it because I knew how to take a take a magazine take a magazine page and post it online you had to know quark you had to know 
um, HTML, of course, BB Edit, Photoshop. Had you, you know, had you done uh, all these tools? Uh, comp sci in, in college or anything like that? How did, no. how did you get these chops? I was an East Asian languages and civilizations major. <laughs> okay. But, you know, of course, there, there was a computer science lab, and, um, and uh, we had a bunch of Next computers there. And, um, and the Next computer was actually one of – that was the original platform that um, Tim Berners-Lee built the World Wide Web on. The first browser and server were, were on Next. Right, and the first uh, Mosaic browsers were built on that also. Absolutely. So um, – so a friend of mine who is now a big, uh, big burning man, burner dude, um, introduced me to, uh, introduced me to mosaic and you know, that, um, that's where I kind of learned, learned HTML and thought, you know, this is really kind of interesting. This is something, you know, something I could maybe do. Um, but I, you know, I was, I was, primarily thinking that Mother Jones might hire me for my desktop publishing skills, such as they were. Uh, this was back in the days of PageMaker. <laughs> and, you know, but a lot of people were making the migration from desktop publishing to web publishing. Right. Um, you know, it was, it was similar skills. It was, it was, you know, text and images laid out on a page. And you had to, you know, learn software to do it. Um, and so, publish uh, publish magazine was in some ways a great you know a, a great place to be a webmaster because, um, you know, I was learning from all these folks who who had deep expertise in in the in the old publishing world, um, and um, you know, I could I could maybe teach them a thing or two about the the this very new kind of publishing. So. Tell me about jumping ship to Hotwired. Did you did you go over to Hotwired after it had already launched, or so I had actually so Hotwired had launched. Um, I actually had tried to get a job there. I think I applied for anything. I think I applied for a customer support job there. Um, it was you know it was just um, I think to use Louis Rossetto's rhetoric, this pulsing cyber station was the dream job of anyone working on the web. What I didn't realize is that there were, there were folks inside Hotwired who were disgruntled and, you know, not very, you know, not very pleased with the, um, the content that Hotwired was producing. Well, um, also at that time, wasn't there the whole controversy about it, it having a, not a paywall, but you had to sign, you had to register. To it see was, the content. Yes, uh, it was, to use um, the immortal words of Carl Stedman, a page that made you choose, log in or die. Because what are you going to do? You have mm -hmm. to log in. So it, it had a, a registration wall, which is, I mean, it, it's utterly un uncontroversial now. I mean, we're just so used to creating accounts. But, um, you know, back then it was like, wait, pick a username, set up password. Well, because also, wasn't it that they got they got Lewis to agree to do Hotwired because he he could see a business model for it if if you could target ads to people, right? So if you if you signed up, he he would know who you were, and then that's why he signed off. Right. There were no there were no cookies back then. There was no there was no way to identify a user aside from an actual account. I mean, in some ways, it it presaged Facebook, right? You know, like. No, we want to actually have our readers be identified, but the anonymity of web browsing was kind of the, you know taken for granted back then. There was very little tracking. Um, you you really couldn't track people other than by IP address, um, and and so it really ran against the the dominant culture of kind of internet insiders mm -hmm. who who were who were the ones you know. These were the only people around to read it, so you know. Yeah, but that's interesting to me. Like I've been reading up about Wired for this chapter, and and it almost seems like I, I think it's well known that that Wired kind of presages the the web exploding, and so like Wired kind of we think of it in retrospect that it 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 was the magazine of of the web you know revolution or whatever, but 
there was almost sort of like the 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 kids that were like no this web thing is where it's at and and you know the, the magazine is is sort of the old model and things like that like was there that sort of attention in terms of hotwired oh definitely i mean there was you know like hotwired was far more punk rock than mm-hmm. you know than wired magazine um and yet the you know the magazine staff felt like they were they were the ones bringing in the money um and and wired was fat with ads back then um even you know even very early early on there there was not there was literally nothing else like it on the market so it was attracting all of these dollars from technology companies who wanted to seem cool uh you know luxury advertisers and automobile brands who wanted to seem innovative you know it was just um it it, it was an incredible time before everyone else kind of piled into that market. Mm-hmm. So what, what were you, what was your role at Hotwired when you signed on? So I really thought of myself as joining suck.com. The, okay. So I'll, I'll tell you the full story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Mark Afetakis, who's now a, a writer based in Arizona, um, had applied for a copy editor job at, at suck and uh, taken a test and, they um, they gave the job to someone else, and I was I was just so offended on his behalf because clearly this person they hired was not very good at her job. They had typos left and right. So as a sort of revenge for you know for uh, for my friend Mark, I started emailing the SUP team. Uh, Every day, an email with the subject line "typos du jour," <laughs> and you know all of the all of the misspellings, all of the factual errors, anything else I took issue with. And and, um, this, and Suck was famous for they always responded to like wasn't that a policy that that you always had to respond to any reader emails? Um, yes, and and actually, this <laughs> I I later became the one who who responded. Um, okay. That was that was by the way something I did at Mother Jones as I answered the um, the incoming emails and people would ask all kinds of questions. There was no Google back then and the search engines were rudimentary, so people would ask all kinds of questions about you know just like how do I find this online resource. Um, but getting back to to um, how I got my job at Suck for four months, April to August, I sent typos du jour to uh, to the Sucksters and. Um, I think they realized that the woman who they hired as a copy editor was really much more talented as a writer. Um, and so they made her, they made her a writer and, uh, and relisted the copy editor job. And Carl asked me if I knew anyone who might be interested. And I thought about it for maybe 10 seconds and <laughs> replied, actually, I think I would be. So I came in, I interviewed and, um, I think it was, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion um so so how 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 old is suck at this point when you come on suck was just a year old okay in fact i remember i remember being there for um the first suck anniversary um and um i met michael sippy who was uh back then was one of the writers um i i can still kind of picture the backpack he was wearing um and um, yeah, it was Hotwired was kind of at the the height of its its powers and its its hubris. Uh, that's that's the time when we launched Wired News to take on News.com. Um, Joel Truer, by the way, my boss at Mother Jones, had coincidentally uh, joined Hotwired. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have any any role in in my coming to to suck.com. In fact, he probably would have probably would have warned them against it. But uh, but anyway, we we both ended up there. Um, well, so it's kind of this vortex of talent. Yeah, let me let me dial you back before you get into that because uh, I I'm going to get into the the all the talented people that were there, but um do you were you do you remember any of like the origin story like it's Carl and Joey, Carl Stedman and, and Joey enough and and had, did you hear like it? It was pitched as sort of like a, a Mad Magazine 
for the web or something like that. Like, so this is like a Skunk Works project kind of inside Wired and Hotwired, right? Well, Skunk Works would, would suggest that it had some kind of authorization. It had no authorization. Really? Uh, Joey and Carl just set it up on a server um, that I think they had, you know, quote, you know, quote unquote borrowed um, with the, um, with the help of an, an uh, with the help of an engineer company and they just start, yeah they just started uh no they just took up space on one of the servers in the uh in the hotwired server farm um this was pre-cloud pre really data centers so all of the servers that ran hotwired were on site um so and they just started posting um because they thought that hotwired was producing this you know this content that it wasn't true to the web. It was like trying to be a magazine, a magazine version of the web. Um, and it wasn't fast enough and it wasn't interesting enough. So they wrote about things they cared about and they did it every day. There was not a lot of daily content on the web back then. It was right. You know, Cause hotwired is still basically kind of repurposing it's monthly content even, or are they even doing weekly? They were, no, they were doing a lot of original content, but they were doing it on like uh, on a weekly schedule at best. Okay. Um, and Joey and Carl felt like that was not the, you know, the metabolism of the web. Like sort yeah. of, sort of pre already guessing that what you want to do is you get into work every morning and go to your favorite website and. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's precisely what I did. You know, when, when I worked at publishes, I, fired up suck.com to see what they had to say. Um, so that, you know, establishing that, that free, you know, the idea of frequency um, and habit um, was, was a key innovation mm -hmm. that Joey and Carl had. Um, and then there was the tone of it. Like, you know, it was just, it was written in this knowing, sarcastic, funny voice um, that, you know, certainly didn't take itself too seriously, but didn't take anyone else seriously either. Well, so, and and also people are writing under pseudonyms. So I, I seriously, I, I, I assume that this was sort of uh, signed off on. So are they writing under pseudonyms because no. they're trying to hide it, that they're no, doing they this? Were, they were trying to hide that they were doing it. Huh. Now, they were trying to hide very hard. Right. And eventually, um, the, uh, eventually management at Hotwired figured out that the that the suck server was actually in their own data center but that took them a while mm -hmm. to figure out um and you know after that it was pretty easy to to trace it to Joey and Carl so it's kind of it, it it this is a whole package it's like we're 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 kind of doing this DIY underground sort of stuff and and we're doing it under pseudonyms and and so that that lends itself to like the voice of like kind of outsidery snarky sort of voice just just by its nature of what they're doing yes but but decidedly not anti-capitalist um Joey especially always embraced the idea of selling out <laughs> um and you know, and and so, so the story of how you know how Suck got uh, got bought by um, bought by the company that was unknowingly giving it shelter um, mm -hmm. was itself grist for the Suck mill. Right, right. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Let me let me ask you, like, like aside from that, like, do you feel like? Because, you know, I'm kind of like a, a year or two too young to... I, I was aware of Suck, but I wasn't a, like a huge reader or whatever. Do you feel like some of the... Some of the culture sort of came from like that zine culture, like like the early 90s sort of like neo-punk rock culture? Because like, you know, like the first articles are about like the Kurt Cobain conspiracy theories and... and... Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, it was... It was a zine, um, you know. It was a zine on the web. Uh, it was very, know. it was very simple. Like it was just, it was black on white and and one column. Yeah, I, the amazing thing is that um, is that the site is completely mobile optimized today. <laughs> you can read it on an iPhone. It looks great. Right. Um, and you know, and oh, that's the other thing is that you know, Joey and Carl were designing it 
to actually be read on the computers and browsers of the day. And in the 90s, a lot of people had, you know, you know, really, really underpowered PCs, tiny monitors by our standards. And they were on, you know, maybe 9,600 kilobit per second modems, um, which is unfathomably, unfathomably slow to us. Like right, you right. You can't even, I can't even explain how slow that is to, to a kid today. <laughs> it's way uh, slower than edge. Just let's stipulate. But, you know, but suck would actually load. And, you know, whereas Hotwired's experimental layouts with these huge images would, you know, would just crawl. And, you know, it, it didn't, that didn't occur to the designers at Hotwired because they were all sucking down in, uh, sucking down, you know, broadband speed internet through hot pink ethernet cables. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, before I before I get on to the other stuff uh, on the pseudonyms, yours was uh, Jonathan Van Decimeter. It was. Could you care to give us the etymology of that, or can I can I unpack that? Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Van Meter was uh, was a um, magazine editor and writer, and he he was most noted for um, for asking uh, if we were living in a quote unquote post gay moment. Mm. And um, I'm gay, and that that kind of spoke to me because the the conventional gay identity of the of the '90s mm-hmm. didn't really mesh with my you know my interest in the web and internet culture. Um, there definitely were gays online. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was Planet Out back then, right? Um, Going back to AOL days or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Planet Planet Out first launched on. Uh, think on msn but rapidly embraced aol uh-huh. um as its as its primary platform um so but you know the the kind of post-gay thing um really spoke to me so and i thought well i'm you know i'm only a tenth the writer that jonathan van Mad- jonathan van meter is so i will uh um i will call myself jonathan van decimeter <laughs> um the the funny thing is that someone at some point got confused and thought Jonathan Van Meter had written uh, had written my essays, and um, and so Jonathan uh, Jonathan Van Meter actually got in touch with me and said, "Hey, who are you?" <laughs> and we had a nice exchange, which yeah. was it was it was a little bit of a fanboy moment to uh, to hear from one of my literary idols. Well, well, let's get into that because, um, you know, Suck clearly had such a huge following amongst it. It's not just media, but it, it is media, but it's also a specific type of media. Like the, it's the media that's trying to get the web. It's the, it's the, um, I, I, like, I would say that like, you know, reading, cause there's, there's still great archives online of Suck, go to suck.com and, it's it's almost pitched to the cubicle workers that are working at these what are becoming the dot com companies. You know what I mean? Right. And and a lot of a lot of the early stories are like sort of almost diaries of like, you know, oh my my boss doesn't get this and that sort of thing. Yeah, um T V for the Blind is is an essay that I think it resonates today. I think, you know, you could show that to um, to anyone working in online media, dealing with, you know, dealing with a parent company whose business is cable TV or, you know, or, or print or what have you. And it would still speak to them. Um, I think that, you know, the, those early essays really, really kind of established Suck's identity as, um, as an outsider, and yet an insider. Um, Carl and Joey were, you know, they were inside the beast. They were part of this company that was trying to go public and, you know, make a big profitable business off of online media. And yet they felt pretty strongly that Hotwired was doing it wrong. And because, because they're, they're still tied to the traditional magazine model of, of there's a schedule, there's a week, there's an issue, there's a, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, some of it was, um, you know, just taking, taking those, those fusty magazine habits to the web. Part of it was, 
misunderstanding the web and so trying things that were very experimental and weird and just didn't make any sense if you actually thought about how people behave online. Um, but the the fundamental mistake that people make is that is that people thought that suck hated the web, that they thought the web sucked. You know, they thought that the web sucked today, but that it could be better tomorrow if people just woke up and paid attention and said something. So it was trying to be a voice for all these people who, you know, who saw that people were doing the web wrong, you know, you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and had passion, not out, of, not out of hate, but out of love, love for the web, love for its potential, love for what it could become. The reason I'm, I'm, you know, focusing more and more for, on this next chapter with, with suck is, you know, lots of people have made this connection, not just me, that it's almost like the, the voice of the web sort of kind of comes from suck in a way and not just in the sense that it's almost like it's proto blogging like you know we're putting stuff up on a daily basis but also like that 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 snarky outsider voice and things like that um i don't know if i actually have a question on that but what what do you feel about like the idea that 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 suck kind of that's the internet's voice now, whether it be Reddit or or whether that's the progenitor of blogging and things like that. Absolutely, I I, I do think that Suck gave birth to kind of that you know that bloggy voice, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, I should I should mention there's a there's a direct historical connection. Uh, Carl Stedman was uh, at one point close friends with. Ben and Mina Trot, who went on to found Six Apart, which was right. one of the first blog software companies. Right, right. Um, so, um, but you know, e even people who didn't know Joey or Carl personally, or you know, lived far away from San Francisco, um, read Suck and were inspired by its voice. It, and it, and it wasn't just the words; it was the it was the way that they hyperlinked. A hyperlink could be expressive in all kinds of ways that that you know people coming from print you know or or tv would would never imagine a, a hyperlink can be explanatory a hyperlink can be um it can be a joke it can be sarcastic uh there's a quote that i love that says uh with suck you wouldn't get the joke until you punch through on the link yes that's from mark Derry. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, again, progenitor of there's tons of link blogs or even what Twitter does. It's like, well, OK, not what Twitter does, but the link blog. No, no, I actually think Twitter's a great example where, you know, you kind of have this this voice where you where you say one thing and mean another. And the punchline is in, you know, is in the link or the photo or whatever you've attached. Um, and that kind of, um, you know, that it, it was a very Generation X voice. Um so you see it in, you know, you, you saw it in other, you know, in other media, you know, novels and movies from, uh, from the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but Suck kind of crystallized it for the web and made it, you know, made it a part of the web. And, you know, even though I think people don't talk that way in movies or books anymore, there's kind of this, um, fossil you know fossil of the mid 90s that lives on in this web voice you know what i see when i read uh the archives and stuff and and i'm 36 so again i'm still kind of of this generation or whatever but um it reminds me of what the daily show later became and actually some people that worked at suck went to work on the daily show and things like that but like you know like the, some of the stuff like sending out reporters to cover the Alan Keyes campaign or, or the Miss America pageant or uh, sen sending someone to Bangalore to report on outsourcing, like, again, that sort of outsidery, like, we're, we're, we're not taking any of this seriously, even ourselves kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and yet we're, and, and yet we're doing it right. We're, you know, we're bearing witness. Mm -hmm. 
the um, that idea of bearing witness and you know and, and speaking speaking the truth, however painful it may be to you or offensive to others, um, was just a core value. Um, you know, I think I think Joey was always the kind of gritty pragmatist, and Carl was um, Carl was the dreamer. Carl was the utopian of the pair. Um, and, and those threads, you know, I see, um, I see threads of Joey and Carl throughout the web today, the, you know, the, the utopianism and the, and the mercantilism. Well, it's sort of like the, the web is equal parts like, um, Peter Thiel libertarianism and, and hippy dippy, you know, uh, sixties sort of stuff. Okay, I have I have actually a technical question for you, which I yes. I already know the answer to, but I'm assuming you guys had nothing like a CMS at this point, right? We had we had some scripts uh, that published um, that uh, published the site, um, but you basically had to you you basically had to drop the files in the right directory. Um, well, well, no, no, specifically, like so, like if you sent in a column. Uh, you're sending over what a word or a text file or something, and then yeah, someone yeah. literally has to write that, do the HTML, and put that on the thing, right? Yes, and that that was me. Okay. Um. Or our, you know, or I think at some point we got a production manager who who did some of that work. But the funny thing is, like, if I had to, um, back in the early days when we actually did line breaks, mm-hmm. uh, if I fixed a typo that changed how uh, that changed how a line would break. I would have to fix the line breaks for the entire paragraph. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that even makes sense. No, be- it does to me. And listen, if you're listening and CMS makes no sense to you, that's a content management system. It's how basically any online publication works, functions these days. It's it's a publishing software program essentially. And and there was nothing. You know, there was. You know, there wasn't anything like it. Part of the reason why Joe and Carl could start suck is because they worked in production for Hotwired, so they knew how to uh, create an HTML page and upload it to a server in a way that it would actually display in a browser. Because mm-hmm. because Hotwired didn't have a CMS at this point either. No, um, they built one for for Wired News, mm-hmm. um, but that was you know, and and they built it in house, and that was kind of. A wild thing that they, you know, that they built that because you weren't going to hand, you know, you weren't going to hand code um, a, uh, you know, a, a news article. But even, you know, up to the point, um, even up to 1999, when I was at uh, Red Herring, um, we still didn't have a content management system. We were just uploading, we were uploading files to, to a server. Hmm. Well, let's. Um... Can you give us just like a little a, a little background? You you leave and go back to uh, Wired Digital or something like is is this the point when they're starting to be layoffs because they're missing so, their IPOs? Yes. So, and... um, so in 1996, uh, Wired um, tried to tried to go public. They got close twice. Um, I remember I remember actually being at a party. Um, in downtown, um, second admission. And we were expecting, you know, I think we had, we had rigged something up to see the, uh, the wired ticker symbol, which was WWW four W's mm-hmm. other than three, <laughs> um, kind of scroll across. And, um, you know, then people were running to over to internet connected computers because we didn't have mobile devices then, and checking their email, and the word was spreading that the the IPO was off. So, um, so that was in the fall of two thousand. Uh, uh, sorry, the fall of uh, nineteen ninety six. Mm-hmm. By uh, by March 90, ninety seven, um, we'd had round after round of layoffs, and I was. I was one of the folks laid off. I did do some freelance work for Wired, um, for Wired News and Wired Magazine, and then I got a job at Re- at Red Herring. Um, yeah, can I uh, actually? I, I I need to do more research on Red Herring because again, that's another publication that kind of predated the the web 
uh, uh, revolution, but I remember that along with like industry standard and other like, so you worked for them for several years, like right in the, in the meat of the dot com mania, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I was, um, you know, I was covering pets.com. Um, I think, you know, just in its, in its founding, um, I actually, I interviewed Jeff Bezos once, um, he'd come down to buy, uh, a payments company, um, based in, uh, I think it was San Mateo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was pre PayPal. Um, and that actually, um, that actually started a now career long fascination with the whole world of payments. Um, but yeah, I mean the, you know, the red herring, there were, there was really nothing like the red herring. Um, this is before the industry standard, the industry standard was actually founded as a weekly, um, mm-hmm. and seeing the success of red herring, um, Wired at one point had wanted to do a um, a business title, mm-hmm. but the um, the canceled IPO put that uh, put that on hold. Um, business 2.0 started around the same time, um, and I actually after the Red Herring, I joined Time Inc. I worked for Time Magazine for a while, and then came back to launch a magazine in um, in 2000 called E Company Now, mm-hmm. and E-Company now um, existed for about a year, and then we bought Business 2.0 and took over, uh, took it over. Um, and then I spent most of the uh, kind of bust years in the Web 2.0 years at Business 2.0. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Can I ask you not not from from a oh what was the dot com stuff like cuz I've asked a lot of other people that like but as like a um as like a journalist like a a free uh, you know not freelance but you know you're going to different titles and whatever like was this like sort of like the was this also like a golden age for for this sort of journalism like man just there's there's a story every second and and you know let, let let's go there's another new dot com and stuff like that I mean, I, re- I remember at Red Herring in 1997, we were, our, our goal was simply to do a story a day. And by the way, I was the only writer. And I, in fact, I wasn't even hired as a writer. I was a copy editor and production editor. And what my boss and I realized is that all of the magazine writers were too busy putting the magazine together because it kept getting more and more ad pages. Um, Right, so, that's the other thing. There's money coming in uh, to you guys, at, like like the dot coms, also. Yeah, no, and 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 so um, it was a great day if I, you know, if I got some press release about some startup getting funded because that was a rare event, um, even in even in 1997, and um, and you know, I would do these long interviews with folks uh, like Ross Garber of Vignette, which is actually one of the first content management systems speaking of um out there mm-hmm. and um yeah no it's it, it was it was a fun time to really learn the trade i mean that was you know that was my kind of on the job education um the the reason why i got into reporting is simply i was getting so many news tips from my friends who had taken jobs at places like excite or infoseek and you know they were going through wild reorganizations and you know mergers and acquisitions and 
I'd go to my boss and say, well, is there, is there anyone who can write this? Because this seems like a great tip. And she'd look at me and say, I think you're going to write it, Ellen. <laughs> no one else will. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's how I got my start. Um, and it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, in, in kind of another era that, mm. uh, that I'd get to do that. I also started writing a column of just, you know, people, um, people getting hired and fired, um, you know, their, um, you know, kind of moves and promotions. And that was a great way to just get to know everyone in the industry Right. Is you know, who doesn't like a little, you know, a little write up of their, of their promotion or their new job or a little gossip, I guess. Yeah. And you know, that's, and it, it did kind of, it did kind of turn much more gossipy over um over time and you know i'd hear rumors about like mary meeker getting courted by kleiner perkins that turned out to be true just like 12 years later <laughs> um and and so i just you know just learned learned as i went but that you know that idea that we would just kind of you know hope that someone was going to fund a startup in 97 by early 99 it was just crazy and i you know um, at that point I was, uh, I was a more senior, um, more senior reporter on the team. And I said, you know, I told my colleagues at this point, we're five or six people purely on, on the online side of things. I said, we're not going to write about it unless it's at least $10 million. Mm. Um, you know, these days I guess it's, you know, a hundred million, $200 million before you, before you really care. Um, but I saw things getting crazier and crazier uh, back then. And it's funny now, like, you know, there's so much controversy over, you know, over whether startups are overvalued and, um, you know, what's the, you know, what's the right way to do a seed round or a series A or what have you. And I, I have all these kind of, I have all of this muscle memory from covering the startup industry in the, in the 90s that's just completely wrong today like you know it's just the the practices have changed so completely well and it's it's orders of magnitude different i mean it's not yeah there's just there's way more money from way more sources and way more startups so um those are those are step changes you know it's it's um it's exponentially more you know more complex but it's also maybe it's not that that mania of of throwing money at whatever you know and and throwing things against the wall and whatever sticks like it's I, i'm not saying that every great startup is a great idea but like it, it was just there was a time period when it was like okay like you said okay pet food online pets.com you know what i mean like it feels kind of more thought out maybe yeah i mean and you know the thing is Pet Food Online was a terrible idea in 1998. But it's a smart, when, it works now. But, yeah, it totally works now because, you know, uh, you know, we've got the infrastructure. People are, are comfortable um, using credit cards online. Well, that's, that's a whole other story. But, uh, right. Um, you know, it's... And and people do like they actually go to Amazon and they do subscribe and save and they just get their right. People their are comfortable ordering that, that it's an order and 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 get it delivered to your doorstep lifestyle now. Yeah, I mean, but the thing the thing is with Pets.com, the more that they advertised, the less traffic they got to their site. Really? I mean, yeah, it was it, it was crazy because you know, essentially, essentially they were driving brand awareness of their sock puppet. <laughs> But they weren't getting anyone to buy hmm. because people felt like, you know, you know what, by the time I load the page and, you know, and put the, put the dog food in my shopping cart and check out, um, I could have driven down the street and bought, you know, bought some dog food. Right. And I don't have to wait three days for it. Hmm. I might need to talk to you in a few episodes about that. Um, uh, I'm going to I'm going to let you go cuz you you've been kind with your time already but um you mentioned sort of the 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 gossipy stuff earlier and I I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't um ask you some of your later stuff like for example um Valleywag and um how how you got uh brought into to you were the second uh editor of Valleywag? Uh actually third if you count if you count Nick Denton as okay. you know, in his interim role. And and uh, Nick Douglas and Nick Douglas was the first. Right. Um, 
I, I mean, absolutely. My, my, uh, I, ha- I have to say my, my time at suck.com, um, was right. That's why probably, I asked. Cause it, it, it was sort probably of... instrumental, right. for, you know, in, in rising to Nick Denton's attention. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he definitely had a thing for ex sucksters. He also, he also hired Anna Marie Cox, um, who was a senior editor at suck at the same time as me. Right. Famously, uh, uh Wonkat. Famously as Wonkat. Um, you know, because if, if you look at Gawker, the, again, the voice of Gawker was very much inspired by suck. Agreed. Um, and, and today you're, um, editor in chief of, of read, write. And I always, I always kind of end these by asking people, you know, whether they be in advertising or, um, you know, a programming aspect of it or whatever, but a lot of what we, we talk about on, on these is it's 20 years on. And so in terms of like the online media as, as, as it exists now, when you were doing this at suck 20 years ago, is the web what you imagined it back then? Is it better? Is it, has it gone beyond what you imagined or has it not quite gotten to where you hoped it would be yet? I think that, um, you know, in terms of the technical development of the web, it's mind blowing, especially, um, you know, what's especially nice to see is that we were kind of right. Um, we didn't at suck. We were very critical of kind of multimedia whiz bang things like, you know, there was something called VRML or virtual virtual reality markup language. And right. we thought we were going to fly through websites, you know, in some kind of 3D, you know, 3D artificial landscape. No. Um, the, you know, and and things like uh, Java actually was thought of as like an animation tool. And we were very critical of that in terms of Java turned up. Java was much more useful on servers. Um running you know running applications mm-hmm. um you know to to see the the utility of the web today things like you know things like gmail um things like dropbox i think those are you know those are amazing um the um and you know i think the the whole mobile the whole mobile world would have been very hard to predict um though you know Though, by the way, Wired uh, in this much criticized cover um, about push technology pretty mm-hmm. much predicted the whole world of um, right. of notifications and location services and and what have you. They were just really early to it. Um, I think the you know I think the thing that um, still still disappoints is that the web has not achieved its full potential as a community um you know you see you see little glimmers of it with people coming together on say twitter or reddit and then they just do something awful and you get in what way like what do you mean like there it's not a community that because the argument i would make is like you know you can be any niche interest right now and you can find your people right yeah no i mean and, and that is and that is great that is really wonderful um but I'm thinking of the way that Zelda Williams was hounded off of Twitter, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, the the culture of trolling. Um, some would argue, you know, was Suck responsible for that? I mean, we were hiding behind pseudonyms, not, you know, not very effectively, but we were, you know, we were criticizing people from, you know, from uh, behind a mask. Right. Um, you know, and especially in the early days when people didn't know who Joey or, uh, Joey or Carl were, um, you know, were they, were they the original anonymous internet commenter? Um, but I think, I think the difference is, is one of intent. I think that suck always did have this kind of core of love, you know, this, this utopian belief that however bad the web was today, it, it could be better. Mm-hmm. But you had to say something about it. You couldn't just sit there and take it as it was. 
um, you had to point, you know, you had you had to point out all of the flaws and all of the weaknesses. Um, I think, you know, if we're if we're to remember anything from Suck, and it's that criticism should have a point and a heart, mm. um, and a sincerity. Um, and that's something actually I took with me to Valleywag that people often misunderstood. Um, they thought I was kidding. They thought, you know, like no one, no one could possibly be that harsh about say Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I really meant it. You know, I really, I, I really thought they were screwing up a good thing. And that's why I was as tough on them as I was. You know, that, that that's a beautiful way to end it. So I'm almost, I'm almost, ruining it now but i have one more question um there's been a lot of articles recently like on medium and a bunch of other places about like is journalism dead versus this is the golden age of journalism and and you're someone that your entire journalism slash editorial career has been web and post web and stuff like that how do you come down on that is it the golden age of journalism or is journalism dying i think it's it's far harder you know if if you were to start something like suck today, would anyone notice? Mm. Um, how would they find out about it? You know, we definitely have a, a problem of um, discovery as, you know, as they like to say, if I, if I use a trendy buzzword, um, I actually don't think that the, you know, I don't think that the excess of, um, you know, of, of writing. I, I, I don't think there's an excess of writing on the web. I think it's great that everyone is, is free to say something. That was, that was the, the dream of suck.com, right? That everyone would kind of start speaking up and, mm-hmm. and speaking their mind. But how do you find the good stuff? Right. That's, it's a really hard question. Um, I mean, there, in the early days of the web, there was, there was so little online, like, Browsing, browsing around and discovering a new website was, you know, was this kind of magical pleasure. You know uh, what? I was almost about to argue with you and say, like, well, what about things like Vox or, or Five Thirty Eight? But then those are those are started by people that got there first. You know, like the Ezra Kleins and Matt Iglesias's and the, you know, like the, they were people that were early bloggers. You know what I mean? So I, I see what you're saying about like the discovery. Like if if you had a good voice right now, how do you how do you get heard? Right. I mean, the, you know, uh, what Fox Media is doing is they're kind of um, picking up people from, you know, uh, the minor leagues or from other teams. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the way the Vox pretty much poached the core team of Engadget right. to, to form The Verge or picked up Ezra Klein from The Washington Post. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's there's a new there's a new ladder to climb, but it's it's far less clear how you do it. Well, Owen, um, thank you so much for remembering all this for us. And, and that was, you know, that was a great, I, I like these conversations when they're, I, I love to hear the histories and the oral histories, but I also like to, to get a little, um, you know, deep thinking about stuff. So this has been great. Oh, my pleasure. If you're enjoying this podcast, there is one simple thing that you can do to help us out. If you do nothing else, just go to iTunes and rate us. One to five stars takes about two seconds. Or give us a review because the weird way that iTunes works is it's not just the number of downloads, it's also the number of ratings and reviews. As always, you can join the conversation at www.internethistorypodcast.com. Get more info, see pictures, and see my full bibliography for each episode. The show's Twitter is at NetHistoryPod, and my personal Twitter is at BrianMCC. Thanks for listening. <laughs>